Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Good morning. My name is Lindsay Ferguson, and I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning. Um, My husband Justin and I have been going to Grace Point for about 14 years now. We have nine and seven-year-old boys, and our whole family truly um, values our church very tremendously, and we love the edifying relationships that we have here. Our scripture is from John 15, verses 4 through 11. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my word remain in you, You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lindsay, so much. Y'all can be seated. Love the Fergusons. They have been with Grace Point since within the first year of their marriage. And so that's, uh, that has been a, a, a 14 year journey for them. And we're so grateful for them. They have loved on our church, serve in our church. They've loved on our pastors this past week in an incredible way. So absolutely love them. But they came to Grace Point and their family was just getting started. It is so awesome to see the spectrum of families at Grace Point and where different people are. We have a couple in our room today that has been married, listen to this, for 69 years. All right, right back here, Fred and Aileen. There you go. Raise your hand so they know who you are. Welcome. That's a major feat. We love them. They're incredible Incredible, love them so, so much. Hey, listen, talking about homes, we're building a house here, okay? Don't you love my little segue there? We've been talking about building a house for a while here at Grace Point. But I don't know if you've ever built a house literally. Lori and I, when we came back from Africa, we moved into our home that we lived in for 22 years. It was a spec home. We got to pick out the color of the carpet and the color on the wall. But we thought we had a real custom home at that point. Now, I don't know, you may be still living, looking for the American dream out there. You may be living in an apartment. So one of these days you're going to get that home. You're going to get that first home, uh, whatever the case may be. But there was a time back in 2019 when Lori and I got the itch. Okay. We got that itch to 
to go and build. We've been in that same house for, at that point, 20 years. And at that point, uh, we had this trifecta that hit in late 2019. One is a tornado came through town, and that will mess up things, right? It didn't mess up our house, but it messed up everything in our yard, our, our trees, and we love trees. They were all down. Literally, we had zero trees in our house. So we just went out and we just looked at the sun. And we love trees. It gave us life. So we were like, oh, no, what are you going to do? It's going to take us forever to plant trees to to, to, to grow back. That's one thing. Plus, we were entering into a new stage. All of our kids were out of the house. We were empty nesters. So our house that we had that lived in that subdivision for, for 20 years at that point was one of those is like, this was perfect to raise our kids in. We have absolutely no regrets of it. But we would like to think about a house that would be more conducive to our next chapter. And then the third of the trifecta was COVID hit. And you either remodeled or you built a new home in, in that season. And so we ventured out and we have been in our new home for only a few months now, took a two-year process uh, to, to, to get there. Mike, why are you saying all of this? I'm saying this because you are a spiritual home, okay? God is working on you. And let me just draw some comparisons here, all right? Your spiritual home is more important than your physical, okay? You are a spiritual being with an earthly body. Your earthly body is gonna kick up the dust one day, okay? It's gonna be finished and done one day. But your spiritual life, your spiritual person, your spiritual body will go on forever. And God is doing a work on you. But just like when you build a new home, you never come in under budget, right? Uh, well, it always costs more. Well, I promise you, fixing your spiritual body, fixing your spiritual life is going to cost a whole lot. It's going to cost the blood of Christ. It's going to cost the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's going to cost more. That's the bad news. Bad news is it's not going to take two years like it took us to build a home. It's going to take the rest of your life. And that is a process that's going to journey that you're going to go on. But here's the good news, the good news, bad news. The good news is, is that you will be at the end of it all, a beautiful place in which God is quite at home. Ephesians says this in the message version. It says, we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. I know this paraphrased version, but I love that phrase, God is quite at home. Is God quite at home in your life? But you are the temple. God is building in you, making in you a beautiful temple. I don't go across the street to a temple to become holy, to become worthy. The actual, the temple becomes a part of me when the Holy Spirit of God moves into me and I become a child of God. The holy temple is in me and that is a massive difference between us and our neighbors across the street. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that God is building in you. God is working on you and on me. First Corinthians 16 says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. And then emphatically he says, the call then on that is to glorify God in your body. How am I going to glorify God in my body? How, am, how is God going to be quite at home inside of me? 
We've been talking about since Jane, excuse me, since, since August about building, okay? About building this spiritual home. And I want to take it a step further because just like in building your physical home, so God is building himself into us. And drawing out some comparisons is you got to have the right tools. God's word is the singular tool for God's building. Okay, even when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to be there in the coming year looking at the Sermon on the Mount. You get to the very end of it. He literally says that you've got to build your life. Your, the wise man builds his life that's going to go through the storms of life on the Word of God. Okay, so the Word of God is absolutely the tool in which God is going to inform us and train us and shape us and chisel us and cut on us when we need to be cut on and heal us when we need to be healed. So that is the power of the word. So the word of God is the tool. We talked about that in August. Then in September, we moved into the foundation. So once you have the right tools, then you go to the foundation and you start there. Now, again, if you've ever built a house, you see how slow that process goes. And you see where, where's the beauty in this. But yet, without a properly built foundation, you don't need to be a civil structural engineer to know that that house is only going to be as strong as its foundation. Well, the scripture makes it clear what our foundation is. When you go to the Moses' writings in the Old Testament, some of the earliest writings in Deuteronomy, all the way through the New Testament, we get three key, very important statements in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission that we can hang our hats on build our lives on as the values that we build our life on. And that is knowing God, loving people, and loving sin. Maybe you've heard them before. They're kind of something that we kind of emphasize around here. They're the values of our church. They're the values of scripture because they're based in, anchored in the great commandment where Jesus said, you got to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's us knowing God in an intimate love relationship. But you also love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is where we love people, the people around us, our neighbors, the people we know, the people that we don't know, the people we like, and the people we don't like. And it's learning to love well the people around us. But it's also the Great Commission, where he tells us to go and to make disciples wherever we go, even to the ends of the earth. That's living sin. This is the foundation of our church. It is what we're going to build on. It's what we're going to budget on. It's what we're going to plan on. It's what we're going to move towards. It's what we're going to evaluate everything off of. How are we doing? How are you doing in building that foundation? Now, once you got the foundation, again, if you've built a house, it's pretty unromantic, right? It's the foundation. Very important, but it's not exactly everything. You start feeling like you have a home or you're going to have a home when the sticks start coming out of the ground, when the studs start coming out and you get them on the foundation. You don't build outside the foundation. Every one of those two by fours or two by sixes will go on that foundation somewhere. So we are now moving into another part of building our spiritual lives. And what we're going to talk about in the, in the, is the framing part of our lives, which is going to be built on rhythms. So if the foundations are the great commandment, the great commission, if the values are the great commandment, the great commission, knowing God, loving people, living sin, how do we get there? How do I build that in? You're going to do it 
by repetition. You're going to do it by a cadence. You're going to do it by a rhythm in your life. But it's not just our rhythm. It's the rhythm of Jesus. So when Jesus told his disciples, asked his disciples, invited his disciples, invited various and sundries of people, some who even said no, walked away, he said this, follow me. Real simple statement, right? Follow me. Now it's a big ask because following me means I'm not going to follow me. I'm going to follow him. Following me means I'm not going to follow the world. I'm going to follow Jesus. Following me is not, it's an easy statement to say. It's not an easy proposition to live, but that's what we're called to do. But it's not just like, okay, I'm going to go to church because Jesus goes to church. All right. He went to synagogues, but we go to church. I'm not just going to have a quiet time because Jesus had quiet times. No, no, no. It's literally where it begins to shape our life, begins to make up who we are. Now, what we're doing is we're trying to grow. And I say we, the pastors, are. what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to provide resources beyond just Sunday morning because all I'm going to do is I'm going to skim the surface. I'm hoping I'm going to whet the appetite, give you a teaser, and make you want to go home and study more. I'm hoping you're going to start diving into this in your small groups and talking more about how you can build healthy cadence and rhythm for your life. Because what that means to follow him will require that. Now, what we're going to do is we've created a resource page on our website. Now, this resource page is going to grow every week, so you got to go back to it week over week. And as we start building this, these rhythms and cadences and out, then we're going to add more and more resources. Now, here's the thing. I'm a resource junkie. We can put a lot on there. I've asked our pastors to pick the, from their very, 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 very best, and these are the pastor's picks, if you will, of what has been for them foundational in building a life that God can live in and be quiet at home. And again, these rhythms that I use, I want to use, I want to introduce you to some other synonyms, okay? And I say other synonyms, these are other phrases that I might accidentally roll off my tongue because they're written about, they're talked about, and it's just a part of who I've become over the time. But the one of those words is discipline. Now, I know that's not a very romantic word, right? Disciplines. But disciplines is a part of that. And I notice this, this, the three books that I put up there, these are three of the most foundational books in my own spiritual pilgrimage. When you look at them, you find the common word is disciplines. Because these are actions that you will take not to earn your way, but as a practice, a rhythm, and a cadence, a discipline that will help you grow that faith, grow that life that God can be quite at home in. So I want you to be thinking about disciplines. Paul talks about disciplines when he talks about he disciplined his body. He told young Timothy to discipline himself for godliness. Discipline is a part of it. But Here's also another phrase that you might hear me say from time to time. It's a rule of life. You setting a rule for you to steer your life. Think about a trellis and a vine. Think about something to steer your life by. This is not original with me. A monk back in the 200s, uh, 300s, uh, Monk Anthony uh, was one of them, all the way up to uh, the 6th century, whenever Benedictines came into reality, they practiced a daily rule of life. You're going to hear me say that, throw that out from time to time. I'm all referring back to rhythms, cadences, disciplines of our life. But another one is habits. 
Now, habits are important, okay? Whether you realize it, they're like your default setting. Duke University found a study and they, they, they said that 40% of what we do, we do because of habits, okay? 40% of what we do, we don't do consciously. We do because it's just li- simply a reaction to, to, to the way we do things. Now, the thing about that is that means habits eat well intentions or good intentions for breakfast, okay? But if you have the right habits, if you developed good, healthy, life-giving habits, you will be building a life that will be strong, that will be beautiful, and that God will be quite at home in. Now, I want to not just talk about habits as in habits, habits, because it's a bad habit to leave the toilet seat up, I've been told. It's a bad habit to squeeze the toothpaste in the middle. It's a bad habit to pick your teeth at the table or whatever else it is. So there's bad habits and good habits. Now, what we're talking about here are keystone habits. Keystone. Forbes magazine wrote this statement about keystone habits. They are the routines, the practices by which someone operates. They mark the base level of what you do without any need for willpower or persuasion. Basically, it's your default setting. What we want to do in this series is set your default settings so that you will live out good, healthy disciplines And this is not new with me. Again, this has been going back for centuries. Thomas Aquinas in 13th century, he had 40 pages in his own writings just dealing with healthy spiritual habits and disciplines. So mark it down. We're going to be talking about it, but we're not going to be talking about these disciplines in the sense of, uh, of do this, do this, do this. It's like build these into your life. Make them a part of you. There are some disciplines, keystone disciplines, that I just do automatically, okay? And there are some that I don't do, that I have to literally force myself to do. Now, here's the problem. Whenever I stop doing the habits, bad things come out of Mike McDaniel. The best of Mike McDaniel goes away and the worst of Mike McDaniel comes up. The, I see things that I don't want to see. I say things I don't want to say. I feel things that I don't want to say. I go to places that I don't want to go to. Whenever I forget the habits, I don't practice the disciplines. And so I don't want you to think about these disciplines of like, it's like a, a line on a graph and I'm, I'm graduating up the graph. And the more I do, the more habits I get, the better on the, on the up and to the right I go. I don't want you to think about it like that. I don't want you to think about a line. I want you to think about a circle. And I want you to think about it as the inward and the outward. That God is working on the inward, that inward part of who we are that shapes our our attitudes, our, our thoughts, our worldview. Our worldview, how we see life. Very important. But it's also our outward. How do we live out? How do people experience us? Because they're experiencing you. But how do they experience you? Do you let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? Because that's what it says in Matthew 5 to do. Because that's what it, it means to li- live it out, but it has to happen on the inward first. We're going to start inward and we're going to work our way outward. And we're going to start with two very important parts of this piece of the pie, if you will. It's the communion and serenity. So today we're going to talk about communion and what does it mean to be in communion 
with God. And then serenity, we're going to talk about that next week. Now, if you think about those two words alone, forget the rest. Don't you want that? Don't you want communion? I mean, communion, again, when you think about communion, you might be thinking about the little cup and the little wafer that we feed you every now and then. That's one way to look at it. It's actually a French word in the 14th century that became a Latin phrase that got melded into the, the, the Catholic Church. But it's actually a French word meaning this. Listen to this really profound uh, 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 word study here. It means common communion, common union. I'm on the same page. I want to be on the same page with God. I want to be aligned with God. I want to be attuned with God. And so if I'm attuned with God, guess what happens after that serenity? How do I get to serenity? I got to, first of all, make sure the communion with God is in place. But then we'll talk about the outward. And the outward is where we move from that into the community connection and into mission. Now, again, this is, this is a compilation of a lot of people's thinking, and I'm bringing it to you, but it's really not just me. It's actually what the Scriptures talk about. So how, here's the question, how is your communion with God? How is your common ground and your unification, your attunement and alignment with God? How is that? How would you classify it? How would you, how would you label it today? Now, I want to take a survey today. And so take out your phones. Regular texting rates will apply. I want you to take out your phones, and I want you to text in. Now, we're not going to know who, whose answers are what, so you're not going to be judged, judgment-free zone. But we're not going to show you the results today. We're going to show you the results next week. But here's the question. How's your communion with God? And how would you answer that? You're going to take your phone out. You're going to text in to 97000, this word, GPC poll, okay? Then you're going to get a chance back to answer one of these classifications. But before you answer it, let me explain it. The knots mean I don't have a relationship with God, and I know I don't have a relationship with God. And I am not necessarily going to stay there, but it's where I am right now. I cannot honestly say in my heart of hearts that I have a relationship with God. You're the knot. The distant is like, okay, I have, he's arm's length. Uh, I may like an arm's length relationship with God, but he, he, I'm going to, I'm, I'm this far from God, okay? And no closer. Or you could be the stalled one. Now you could be stalled at 10 days into the Christian faith or 10 years into the Christian faith or 10 decades. I mean, you're 100 years old, but I mean, you could be stalled at any point along the way. When you stop growing, you're stalled. When you stop being challenged, you're stalled. When God stops chiseling away, you're stalled. So are you stalled today? What about emerging? It's like, I am new in the faith. I'm excited. I'm not there yet. I certainly don't own my faith fully, but I am moving in the right direction. Or lastly, thriving. And I'll tell you this, thriving is what thriving is. Maybe it, it's one of those things that we all want to be, and I, I obviously want to be there most of my life. I'm going to work to be there, but it doesn't mean I'm always there. But maybe you are there. And if you're thriving, put it down, tell us about it, and let's build on that. Because if I was going to take the word thriving and tie it next to any other word in the Bible, it would be John 15 that we just read, that Lindsay just read about being in a remaining kind of relationship, being in an abiding kind of relationship. That's the kind of relationship I want with Jesus. And by the way, when you go back to John chapter 15, you're going to find that 128 times in Scripture does this word remain, minnow, 
Uh, does, it, does it refer to abiding, remaining, staying, sticking with, enduring? It's used 120 times, but it's used 10 times in the verses that we just read. It is a major theme. And this is one of the sweetest, most powerful passages that so many people have spent a lot of time on, and we're looking at one verse today. So I'm doing it an incredible injustice, and I put that out there on the front end. But I want us to understand what it means to remain. Because he makes it very clear. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Remain in me. Remain in me. Abide in me. I want to talk about, and each of these messages of the next four weeks are going to deal with one of these, communion, unity, community, and mission. And each one of them is going to have three different rhythms, disciplines, practices, cadences that we need to have in our life if we're going to build up and grow the communion, an example this week, with Jesus, okay? So first of all, rhythm, and these are going to be very unromantic, but hang on to me, okay? They're very clear. Bible intake, okay? I didn't say, did you have your quiet time? I didn't say, did you bring your Bible to church? I didn't say, did you read your verse of the day? All that may be all part of the process. But it's not just having a little dose of Jesus every day as you go out the door or listening to Christian radio and getting your verse of the day. When I say Bible intake, I'm talking about where the Bible becomes so much a part of you that you're intaking it and it's taking over. Where the scriptures become a part of who you are. Where there is an absolutely integration of the scriptures into your life. Where you are interfacing them with your life in the decisions. Look at verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Stop right there. If you abide in me, that's first of all. Am I following Jesus? Am I abiding with Jesus? Am I with Jesus? Am I attached to Jesus? Am I staying with Jesus? Am I walking with Jesus? And my words abide in you. That that phrase is not just some one-off random middle of the sentence. I know we're going to read the next part in a moment, but don't go there yet. I want us to focus on the first that first section there. If I'm abiding in Jesus, then what else is happening? I'm abiding in the word or his word is abiding in me. And this is not a one-off statement. He also says it in John chapter 8, verse 31. If you abide in my words, you're my disciples. You are truly my disciples. Now, if he says truly you're my disciples, if you abide in my word, that must mean there must be falsely disciples over here too. That one of the tests, very big test, of a true disciple of Jesus is that they're the abiding in the word, the words abiding in them. It's a part of who they are. Now notice it goes on to verse 32 that we'd all love this one. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Let's reverse engineer this verse for a moment. Who doesn't want to be free? Talk to somebody with an anger issue. Talk to somebody with an addiction issue. Talk to somebody who's, who's hung up on anxiety. Talk about somebody who needs freedom spiritually, maybe emotionally, or maybe they're struggling with some kind of dysphoria in their life, and they want freedom from that. I want that. Well, how do I get there? Reverse engineer it. I need to be a disciple of Christ. That's going to set me up 
to be able to be free. But what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? The word abides in me. The word of God becomes literally integrated into my life. So it's abide in me and my words abide in you. Abide in me and you are my disciple. And that's how freedom comes. But also if you keep going and reading on in John's writing, 2 John chapter 9, it says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide. Now he's going to reverse it. In the teachings of Christ does not have God. Now, if you're in the Bible study methods class, I talked about comparison as a means of interpretation. I want to point this out right now. This is what I did this week. This is an example of how I let Scripture interpret Scripture. Understanding what abide means in John 15 is one thing, but how I understand it is understanding how abide fits in the greater context of Scripture. And whenever I understand how abiding in Him and abiding in the Word and abiding... In fact, if I don't abide in his teachings, I'm not with God. That's a big thing. So a mark of a follower of Jesus is a person who the word of God is integrated into their soul. It's a part of how they see. It's a part of how they think. It's a part of who they are. I'm reading a book right now by George Barna. It's an older book. Pre-COVID, I'll say that. Think like Jesus. And I tell you what, I'm, 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 I'm deeply disturbed by some of the things I'm reading in this book. Okay, Barna is a researcher. He's a sociologist, Christian researcher who does a lot of research on the health of the American church. Okay, listen to this. He says he's found, based on empirical research, that 9% of born-again adults have a Christian worldview. Now, you may not even know what a worldview is, but that ain't a bunch, whatever it is. 9%. Now, worldview is basically this, how you view the world. <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that profound? Now, when I have a biblical worldview is when I start seeing the world from the biblical lens, I start making decisions on the biblical. Because he's a researcher, what he did is he put a litmus test over that. He created six qualifications of what a biblical worldview was. And I've read them, and I totally agree with them. And I'm, I'm talking about some basic Christianity. And he says, this is what a biblical worldview is, and only 9% of born-again Christians have it. Guys, I get upset with that. I become passionate about that. I become disturbed about that. Because what if that's grace point? The 10, less than 10%. But he goes on in his study and he actually gives a test to pastors and elders, asking them how well they have a biblical worldview. And come to find out, and this may be the Part of the problem that only 51% of pastors and elders have a biblical worldview. No wonder that only 10% are less than 10%. Because barely half of pastors and elders that are leading churches see life through the lens of Scripture. So whenever I say, did you read your Bible today? I'm not asking you that. It's got to start there. But I'm asking you, has the Bible integrated, interfacing? How have you taken it into your soul and your being? Because that's what we're talking about. 
If I want to develop a healthy life, a full life, a life that God would desire and live it in me, inside of me, I've got to let the Word of God shape me. Not Fox News, CNN, not my political party, not my friends, not my Instagram, not any of the social medias. I'm literally going to allow the Word of God to give me my worldview. Can I get an amen somewhere in there? Number two, Bible memorization. Bible intake is whenever the scriptures are being integrated into my life, my worldview is being shaped by it. But Bible memorization is where the Bible is now saturating, not just integrating, saturating it. It's staying with me 24-7. It's in my sleep. It's in my awake time. It's when I'm going to work. It's on my way home from work. It's literally a part of who I am. And Bible memorization is a muscle we have got to get a part of who we are. Okay? I make a self-confession. I do not know my wife's phone number. I know my grandmother and grandpa's phone number from childhood 40 plus years ago whenever they lived for six months on a lake house out of the year. I still have that. Anybody else got, got that down? Okay. We are not exercising our memory bank. Now, I know our hard drives are getting older and all that kind of stuff, but uh, we've got to exercise something here. Joshua was giving an incredible task, an overwhelming task. Literally, Joshua chapter 1 starts with Moses is dead. <laughs> Moses is dead. Joshua, you're now the leader. Joshua puts on the sandals of Moses. Big sandals to step into, by the way. He's being asked to do something that Moses couldn't do, lead the people of Israel into the promised land. We're talking about not a couple thousand. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. He's asked them to lead into the promised land. He's asked them to cross over a flooded, a muddy Jordan River. He's asked them to do some things that nobody can do. But this is a promise in, John, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, that I want to be true of me. Anything that God calls me to do that's impossible is that he would make his way prosperous, that you'll find good success. I would love to put my name at the top of that and say, hey, this is a promise of God. I, I want this to be true of me. But I can't just do that alone. I've got to read the whole verse, this book of the law. This Bible, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should, be, you should meditate on it day and night so that you can be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then, then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll find success in all that you do. Listen, guys, we have got to make a part of the rhythms of our life, the cadences of our life, a healthy, regular dose of memorizing Scripture so that it stays with us in the days, in the nights, in the ups, in the downs of our life and our story. Dallas Willard, I'll quote from him a lot in this series, he said he would not be a part of a church if it did not have a Scripture memory system. He goes on to say, he says, through memorization, God's word, words reside in our body, in our social environment, in our constant orientation of our will and of our depths of our soul. They become the power, a substance that sustains and directs us without even thinking of them. 
They emerge into a conscious thought and action as needed. That's the Word of God, not just integrating itself into my life, but saturating my life. Where it's thinking, it's my reactions, it's a part of who I am. Whenever you look at the Scriptures, and I want you to throw all the verses up there on this next slide, I want you to just notice this. This is, And the eyes eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. I have to tell you, uh, this this week, just two times. Monday morning, I got up and one of the things I did is I spent some time reviewing scriptures that I had memorized. One was from a decade ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. I reviewed it. That was Monday morning. Tuesday afternoon, I am literally fighting the devil and winning a victory because of what I memorized a decade ago and what I reviewed on Monday morning. Now, I'm, I fall many times, but I went to bed that night on Tuesday night. Thank you, God, for your word that got me through that temptation. Last night at 1 a.m., old time, 12 a.m., I'm wide awake. I wake up and there is a spiritual battle going on inside of me. Lies and assaults and shame and things that are just coming at me. And for an hour I'm tossing and I'm praying the scriptures. I didn't turn on my light, get my phone out, open my Bible app. I literally went to the resource depths of my mind and my soul. And I went to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and I reminded my soul that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I went to John 15, the passage that we're looking at today, and I recall chapter 5, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. I just started saying those verses over and over, and an hour later, I go back to sleep. Those are two victories. I can give you 15 other failures in my life, but let me just point out that those victories only happen because I memorized Scripture. And because, and not only saturated my life with the Scripture, but I was integrating it into my life. There's Bible intake, Bible memorization, absolute rhythms you got to have in your life. But then it will empower your prayer. What it does is it begins to empower. You are able to now pray because you're praying the scriptures. So you're praying with authority. You're praying the mind of God because you're taking on the mind of Christ. And There's such a power that comes when you have integrated and saturated your life in the scriptures. When I say this, you go back to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, how many times have I quoted the last part of that verse? God, I'm asking. God, I need this. I want this. But I don't get it. Because here's the secret about Prayer. It's a very big secret, and I've said it here before. Prayer is not me getting my will into heaven 
It's God getting his will into me. So whenever I'm abiding in his word, his word's abiding in me, then I can ask. Because now my life has been shaped around his word and I now want to pray his will. It's like, it's like in uh, Matthew, when Matthew 7, it talks about asking you will receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be open unto you. I mean, that's a pretty good promise, right? That's chapter 7, but you, got, you can't separate chapter 7 from chapter 6 because chapter 6 says this, that you've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So again, it is me aligning myself to God's will. After I align myself to his will through his word, then I can ask because now I've been shaped, I've been changed. My thinking is, has been altered and adjusted to be in, a, in, in, a, in accordance with God. I am aligning to him. You know, when the word begins to shape your worldview, you're going to pray differently. One of the things I do, and again, it's, it's 1040 every morning. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I get a little notification because I set it up that way on my phone that says to pray for the unreached people groups of the world. And, and, I, and I have a system that I've set up and I want to introduce it to you today because if you're going to have the mind of Christ and you're going to realize that uh, I'm abiding in him and I'm taking on his worldview, then I cannot not pray for the nations, okay? I can't because in heaven... All the nations are going to be there. The tribes are going to be there. There's going to be representation around the throne. Joshua Project is a tool that I use. And I get this notification every day. And this morning, I prayed for the Luepe of Bhutan. Okay, I can't even say that, but I can pray for them. And I can realize that they don't have a Bible and they don't have a track and they don't have a missionary and they don't have a uh, Jesus film and... They don't have Jesus. There's zero Christians in that people group. And I can pray for these Tibetan Buddhists that one day that they would hear and know of Jesus. And I can make that a part of my regular thing. And here's the thing. That's what prayer is supposed to be about. Not just me getting my request to God, but me letting God's word infiltrate my heart and change even how I pray. But whenever you look at the book of Acts, and you go from the book of Acts and you see in the, in, the, in the beginning this ragtag group of people in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Because he says, wait, then you will receive power and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is literally an outline of the book of Acts. Because what happens then is they wait, the Holy Spirit comes, they pray, the Holy Spirit comes, and they start. And the book of Acts is literally from that point forward, the gospel going from Jerusalem, going to Samaria, going to Judea, going to, going to Turkey, modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor, going to Greece, into Europe, going to Rome, going ultimately to Spain. And as you watch it, it progresses right across the water to us today. Why am I saying that? Because when you read through the book of Acts, 28 chapters, you will find 26 times where there's a call to prayer or there's an action of prayer. So if we really understand the power of prayer, it's going to be a part of who we are. 
going to shape how I pray, what I pray for. Why does Jesus do all of this? Why does he call us to abide in him? He said, he said, these things have I spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So when I talk about building a life of rhythms and cadences, it's so that your life would be full of the joy that can only come from him. That you would be in a relationship with him that would forever change you. Because you're integrating God's word, you're saturated by God's word, and it's shaping and empowering your prayer life. Would you bow your heads with me? Do you know Jesus today? Jesus wants you to abide. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. But let's just put religion labels. Let's put catechisms and confirmations. Let's even put baptisms aside. I want to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you abiding in him and his word abiding in you? Because you read it. To not abide in the teachings of Jesus is not to know God. So how much is God's word, truth, spirit a part of your life? And if he's not, just be real open and honest with yourself and with God. And just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to give my life forever and forever, this point forward to following you. Just tell him in your own words. If you are a follower of Jesus today, but maybe you're stalled. Maybe you're distant. Maybe you'll say to Jesus, Jesus, renew. Would you begin building my life again? I've lost the joy. I've lost the motivation. I need to abide in you, Jesus. Father God, you know every heart in this room. We can hide behind masks. We can hide behind religions. We can just kind of be in this room and be lost in the numbers and the seats. But God, you're calling us to abide. Would you not let any of us miss that calling right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.